Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. It's good to see you all here. It's Labor Day weekend. So, let me ask you, what's a chore that you hated the most growing up? Talk amongst yourselves. Vacuuming. Bathrooms. Dusting. What else? Dishes. Roger, what was that? Weeding. Anyone else? Chores you hated when you were a kid, huh? Picking berries. You hated that, eh? Yeah, yeah. Dishes by hand. Oh my goodness. Okay, so let's switch gears. What's a chore you still hate? Dishes by hand, Amanda says. Thanks, Cheryl. Vacuuming. What else? Mike? Folding? Folding what? Oh, folding laundry, yes. Not folding dishes, I hope. Oh, yeah, I want you to think of that hated chore. And then do a little mind experiment. Just imagine it was never done again. No, no I mean, like, no one did it. it just, people just ignored it. They ignored Now, some of you can walk in your teenager's room and say, I've now seen what it looks like <laughs> when the job's been ignored. Right? Think of the chore. Just, it's just nobody did it again. What would the results be? Catastrophic. Catastrophic. Nasty. Plagues would sweep the land. We'd have a population decrease. If you ever wondered if your daily work matters, just imagine what it would be like if no one ever did it again. If you never did it again. Are you imagining that? I don't see enough looks of horror on your face. Welcome to the Labor Day weekend, the weekend of the year where we celebrate work by trying to do the least amount possible. Right? (laughs) We apparently go camping as well. You know the origin of Labor Day? Anybody ever dug into that? Well, it emerged during a time of rapid industrialization late in the 1800s. As you know, maybe from your history classes, uh, the Industrial Revolution drove many families from the fields to factories. And daily work became something very different than humans, frankly, had experienced ever. It, was, it had changed everything. And this new work was not only disorienting for the worker, for the person, and very divisive for families, it was often very difficult, thankless work. Long hours, poor conditions, terrible pay, and the workers weren't always treated as humans. They were like cogs in a great machine. And some of the incorporations, uh, the corporations that employed them uh, would, would overlook safety things and, and would, would really not think about them as, as people, which led then, as a result, to workers' movements to unionization, to protests that were all designed to support and to advocate for much-needed workers' rights 
and well-being. By the way, all the pictures you're going to see today are pictures from our own valley, from the Creston Valley. Um, a variety of pictures. I won't, I'll try not to stop to explain them, but they're all there. Uh, Creston Museum has amazing stuff. Well, as the movement grew, the labor movement grew, organized celebrations and parades began to take place, declaring the holiday a Labor Day, which highlighted the value and the dignity of the working man and woman at a time when people often felt undervalued or confused about their place this holiday rose to celebrate their important uh, contributions. So Labor Day, the first Monday in September, has been celebrated in Canada since 1872, and it became enshrined as a statutory holiday in 1894. It's been around for a long time. And while its original purpose has been lost to motorboats and tent trailers, uh, it still marks a day of the year when common, everyday, make-a-living work gets a formal nod from us all. So, happy Labor Day, you fellow workers of the Creston Valley. Look around, look around, and say happy Labor Day. Yep, to each other. Yeah, there we go. Today I'd like to offer some thoughts on work. Our regular, everyday, make a living, make the world go round kind of work. Because the truth is, we've often carried a bad taste in our mouth toward regular work. Some of what you heard, even today, represents that. We've done that culturally, we've done that personally. We've even looked down, if we're really honest, looked down at people based on the kind of work they do. Even if we were to stop and think about it, we'd realize, but if they weren't. If people weren't doing that kind of work, where would we be? We see its importance. Which is why days like Labor Day have an important place in our calendar, in our history. But the thing is, we aren't just guilty of denigrating common work culturally and personally. We're also guilty of that as the church. It didn't take long, within the first few centuries of the early church, that certain kinds of work were considered more pleasing to God than other kinds of work. Spiritual work was elevated above menial work. Mental work above manual labor, that sort of thing. And Christian teaching would reinforce this hierarchy. And so it was better, as the story went, to have your hands folded in prayer than to have your hands wrapped around a plow. That it was better to be a Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus than a Martha who was trying to get everyone else fed. Better to be a monk or a nun than a merchant or a nanny. And if you were just not able or you were ill-equipped to, to, to take on these kind of special spiritual roles, then, well, then at least do your best to lay all that you have in service of these spiritual things. And work in and of itself wasn't seen as valuable unless it made some direct contribution to this other higher work. Now, I grew up with this tainted worldview. I inherited it from my spiritual ancestors. And so when I was 16 and I was grappling with God's plan for my life, I faced a dilemma between two callings, one greater, one lesser. I could grow the farm and feed families, or I could grow the church and feed souls. One or the other. And one was clearly greater than the other. Do you have any guess which one I chose? Now, for me, both 
Yeah, I, I came around to that, but it took me a while. Now, for me, the problem was not the choice between two vocations. We all have to make choices based on who God has made us to be and the gifts He's given us and the passions and the talents He's nurtured in us and our particular interests and circumstances and the places we're in. And making a choice between multiple options is not the problem. The problem was my inherited bias that one way of life was inherently more pleasing to God than another. That to pastor, or in my world, or a missionary, that was even better than a pastor, frankly, because they went overseas, that was a higher call. And farming was settling for a less than optimal vocation, which is why it thrills me when every Colkman kid and Terpster kid down here wants to be a farmer. They have not bought into that. They're not learning that. But it took me years to untangle this within my heart and mind, my theology and practice. And though I have been definitively called to serve as a pastor in in God's church, I now know that this particular calling isn't higher or lower or more pleasing or less pleasing than any other vocation, be that farming or or parenting or or medicine or, or teaching. This is simply the way that I, before God, have to work for God's glory and for neighbor's good. Well, throughout church history, there were minority voices that would try to affirm the value of all work. But the truth is, the dominant voice promoted a hierarchy of work, where the spiritual work of priest or or nun or missionary was always elevated above that of the common farmer or merchant or, or mother. Now, it was during the Reformation, when the church was experiencing tremendous upheaval and revision, that this split between so-called spiritual work and then the rest of us, secular work, that split was thrown into serious question. People like Martin Luther, who's probably the most eloquent, but others like Calvin, they joined their voices in affirming that all work was a theater for God's glory. And as a result of these reformers and others, holy vocations were no longer applied only to priests and nuns, but now to farmers and nurses and milkmaids and civil servants, that all work was holy work. All work ordained by God and pleasing to Him. All work worthy of esteem and dignity. That as Christians, we were all under holy orders. John Calvin, he was pushing back against this common view that a a Mary-type contemplative life was better than a Martha-type serving life. He, He said this, On the contrary, we know that men, this is a very old book, so men or women, were created for the express purpose of being employed in labor of various kinds, and that no sacrifice is more pleasing to God than when every man or woman applies himself or herself digitally, diligently, not digitally, but if you do work in the digital field, that too, diligently to their own calling and endeavors to live in such a manner as to contribute to the general advantage. Nope, nothing's more pleasing than that. 500 years later, we're still working this out, aren't we? We're still working it out. Even those of us who've been heirs of the Reformation, or or, or maybe we've been brought up in, in a world that didn't buy into that split between secular and sacred, we can find ourselves thinking, now that work's really important. Like what they're doing, that that's really good. But me over here, I'm just fill in the blank. I'm just hauling logs. I'm just was setting up websites. I'm just changing diapers. I'm just starting a business. 
And we can devalue work that is good work and is holy work, thinking that God is actually going to be more pleased with us when we're doing spiritual things as opposed to when we're doing regular work as a contractor or a counselor. But this split between secular and spiritual is not supported by Scripture. And it doesn't bear out in regular life. And so for today, I'd like to offer six ways that our daily work is good and holy. Or we could put it this way, six ways that God makes the other six days holy too. Okay? So let's, let's go through this. I'm going to be really fast today, and I apologize if, if, uh, if it's rapid fire. But here we go. First, God created us to do good work. We need to start back at the beginning to see that God created humans for good work. In both of the creation stories, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God had created human beings in his own image and gave them work as an expression of their status, as an expression of their identity. In Genesis 2.15, we read that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That work was part of God's good design. That we were actually made for good work. And this is so important because in today's world, work often feels frustrating and futile, doesn't it? You fix things and they break. You change things and they slip back to the way they were. You think you have this great idea and you're gonna, it's going to make all the difference in the world, but in reality it doesn't. Or maybe you work for years and years and years on something and then when you're done, it folds. There's frustration and, and lack of satisfaction. And, and culturally, we're told actually to do everything possible to set ourselves up for the day we don't have to work anymore, right? Freedom 55 or whatever. But that's the goal. As though, really, work is something you only have to do if you can't do anything else. And I get that. And actually, the early stories in Genesis explain how good work gets frustrating. It's frustrated through human sin. How even our best work can seem futile. But friends, that's not a work problem. That's a sin problem. The reason why there's frustration isn't because work is inherently bad. It's because sin mucks with everything. Work is actually God's good idea, and it's given to us for our good. And the future resurrection, thank you, Jesus, isn't going to be sitting around floating on a cloud in eternal leisure. It's kill me now. No, it'll feature good, meaningful work because we were created to reflect God through what we do. Work is part of being human, and good work is God's gift to us. This is very important to emphasize, especially when we're experiencing frustrations or difficulty in our, in, in our work. Because you see, the big story arc of the scripture, of God's good creation, God creates a good creation and work is good. But work becomes frustrated when humans rebel against God's design and fall into sin. But that isn't the end of the story. Yes, work has become frustrating, but in Christ, new creation has come into the world. And the Holy Spirit has begun to reverse the effects of sin and brokenness in our own lives, which includes in our own work, so that we can begin, even now, to experience a renewal. We can experience good work. We can begin to taste what it's like for God to be really pleased and for us to be growing in this good work as God intended. It's living in the overlap again, like we've been talking over the last few weeks. And work in this new creation isn't something that earns us favor with God. That's somewhere, sometimes along the way, that's where Christians have gone off track. They've thought work is an expression of, of, of how we get favor with God. And therefore, if you're really good at your work, then God must really love you. 
which is totally missing the point. Work in the new creation isn't something that earns us favor with God. Rather, the good work that God has given us is an expression of the favor God already has for us. Have you ever thought about how your work, whether it's paid or unpaid, whether it's at home or out in the community, have you ever thought about how your work is an expression of God's favor on you? I mean, that's worth thinking about. How is my work an expression of God's favor on me? Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it in his letter to Ephesian Christians. He says this, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Did you catch that last line? God has created us anew in Christ Jesus. New creations come so we can do the good works, the good things He planned for us long ago. Now, because of our bias that many of us still carry toward spiritual work, we've often heard the word, the phrase, good works, and we've applied it to certain things, but not to others. We, we said, oh, well, that, that applies to churchy things. Or, or, or really special things. But actually, that's way too restrictive. Of course it includes those kind of things because all of life is included. It includes serving in children's ministry. It includes reaching out to a neighbor and sharing the gospel with them. It includes even, believe it or not, serving on that dream team. But it's much more expansive than that. These good works that God has planned long ago covers all aspects of our human work. And it covers cleaning the house. Next time you're vacuuming, Or cleaning those dishes by hand, Amanda. You look up and say, wow, God, you planned this for me. (laughs) Could you plan it for my kid too? (laughs) You planned this for me from long ago. Setting yearly goals for your business. Working at a lumber mill or a grocery store. It reminds us that This new creation has come, and we get to work now as God always intended. And so we start there. God created us for good work, which is being renewed in Christ. But how is our common work good, exactly? The answer, because it's good for others. You may may never have made this connection, but do you realize that God cares for others through your daily work, whatever it is? Martin Luther, as I mentioned, an early reformer, very influential in the covenant church's history. He was very keen to affirm this truth. He loved to point out how God's care was expressed in even the smallest ways, even the most humble professions. That when God hears the prayer of people for their daily bread, Martin Luther was quick to point out. He says, who do you think God uses to answer that prayer? Who do you think he uses? He uses the farmer, let's, I'll update this a bit. He uses the seed plot tester. He uses the farming implement salesperson. He, he uses the truck driver and the mechanic who keeps that truck running. And the dispatcher who sends the truck out, he, 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 he uses the bag manufacturer as well as the scientists who actually made that bag possible and the digital artist who printed on that bag. You know where I'm going? The oven fabricator, the grocer, the cashier, even the knife maker who enables you to eat bread instead of just, or, you know, in slices instead of just tearing it apart. 
Sandwiches would be much more fun. I realize if you were able to just tear them apart for your kids, but sliced bread's nice. All common workers doing everyday things come together to provide the daily bread for those who ask for it. God uses this work. Our good work is good for others. And that can be extended in in really every field that you think about. Knowing God cares for others through our work, paid or unpaid, gives us such dignity. It gives holiness even to the most menial and mundane tasks. Take some of those chores that you mentioned and see how this is true, how this is a way that we care for others, that God cares for others through us, whether that's cleaning the cat litter or wiping the baby's butt or hauling out the garbage, we're caring for others. And ignore that job for a while and you'll realize, right? Every time garbage men go on strike, the world realizes the holy work of garbage people, right? <laughs> Very, It gets holier by the week <laughs> as the bags get higher. So think about it for your own work. Be that work at home, in a business, online, or even as a volunteer. How is God caring for others through your work? That's a great question to ask. How is God caring for others through the work that you do? When we think about it long enough, we'll actually make connections we haven't made before. It might be a fun conversation to have with your kids sometime or a friend. Because when you do that little thought experiment, it's amazing how many people, as I just thought about it only briefly, how many people are involved in delivering bread to your house. It's like, whoa, there's a lot of people involved in this. You could do that with a whole bunch of different tasks. Yes, of course, for those of us who are working in paid work, There are finances provided from that work, which enables us to care for others, our own family and others. But the work itself is a way that God cares for us. God shows his love through our work. In Galatians 6.10 we read, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And we do that partly through our daily work. This highlights the importance, of course, of the quality and the morality of our work. Because I know some of you probably thought when I said all work is holy, you think, yeah, well, not all work. Well, that's true if you're going to talk about certain things that cause damage or harm. But when we think our work being truly good for others, we, we come to a place where we realize, well, I can't, dishonesty doesn't care for others. Doing something immoral or harmful doesn't care for others. The implications of this are far-reaching as we think about how our work is truly good for others, for people, for planet for people's health, for the quality of the products or services we provide, that God cares through our daily work for others, which makes it holy and good. Well, we can extend this back to ourselves, of course. This next point is is similar, but I want to explore something a little different, that God cares for us through our daily work, as well as he cares for us through the daily work of others. And this helps us, I think, see the value of our own work, but it also makes us more thankful for the work of others. The other thing I, I note through this as I, as I thought about it was how through our own daily work, God deepens in us many things. We experience God's grace in simple, everyday ways. We begin to see God's presence even in our daily tasks so that he's caring for us, but he's also, he's also revealing himself to us through our work. I'm going to shorten this point for time's sake. So we'll go on to the next one. It's, it's much the same. Fourth, God reveals or receives glory through our daily work. 
I want you to think about it. God created us to do good work. And then He cares for others and for us through our good work. And when that's, when that's happening, that means we're being who God has created us to be. And He's revealing His love for others through us. And friends, nothing brings God more joy and glory than, we are sim- than when we are simply being who God has created us to be. When we are loving, caring, images of Him, reflecting Him and His character and goodness to the world. When we work as God created us to work, we image Him as we were created to image Him. We work as His representatives. Apostle Paul also said that whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him, to God the Father, that whatever we do, whatever we say, that we're Jesus' people, that we're reflecting His character and His mercy and His intentions and His goodness to the world. And our work, something that most of us spend most of our lives doing, is a primary arena in which we live and act as Jesus' representatives. This is why it's so tragic when we take and separate out sort of spiritual work from regular work. Because you're not left with a whole lot of time. But when you start realizing that it's in all of our work that we act as a representative, it's in all of our work that we bring glory to God, then we're able to fully experience what God has for us. In another letter, Paul said, whatever you eat, or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And we bring these two things together, acting as a representative and doing it for the glory of God. We have a powerful motivation for our good work. That what we do, that as we do work, we represent Jesus, we bring glory to God. That whatever that work is, and however it is done, wherever it's done, this is something we are able to express in what we do. And so a great question we can ask ourselves is, can I say that I represent Jesus in my work, that I'm bringing glory to God in how I work. And I want to be careful there. I don't mean by that just, you know, do I talk about Jesus at work? Now, that's important. We'll get to that. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about before we ever speak of Jesus, we need to ask, does my work represent Jesus? Does the way I work and the attitudes I have, do they actually indicate that I'm a Jesus person, that Jesus is leading my life. Because one of the worst things that people can do is talk about Jesus when they're doing shoddy work. When they're cutting corners. And then on their break, they're talking about how much they love Jesus. When they're treating fellow employees poorly. Or they're trash-talking the boss. But then they're mentioning how much they're involved in their church. It does damage to the name of Jesus, doesn't it? Terrible. And that's because I believe they're not fully embracing what it means to represent Jesus in their work. So does my work represent Jesus? Do my actions give God glory, even when no one sees me, even when no one even knows what I'm doing? Good work, which represents Jesus and and brings glory to God, doesn't just refer to so-called spiritual work. Or, maybe more accurately, you could say it refers to all work because now all work is spiritual work. It includes all work such as changing diapers or repairing doors or fixing cars or stocking shelves, serving customers, driving trucks, listening to clients, mowing grass, doing it for pay or not. That whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. And the fifth way God makes our other six days holy is that he shapes us through our daily work. He really does. Eugene Peterson said that the primary location for spiritual formation is the workplace, which is quite something coming from a pastor. 
that he's saying this isn't the primary location. Like you get some important stuff here, but really it's about helping us be formed in our daily work, in the everyday relationships. And in our work, we discover that God's presence in us and through us is very real. Even in the difficult and the beautiful places that we experience. And we learn a lot about ourselves at work. How many of you can say, I've learned about myself in a difficult situation at work? Whether that work is at home, whether that work is at a, you know, working as an employee or a business owner, that you've learned something important about yourself in the workplace. We learn something critical when we engage with difficult uh, relationships, when, we, when we're humbled because we made a mistake. When we're struggling to learn something, when we're frustrated, God does something in us. The Holy Spirit shapes us through our daily work. He grows us up in Christ as we seek to give God glory and represent Jesus in all we do. Even when it seems difficult, even when the struggle seems futile. When our work is hard, it feels meaningless and we wonder why we're even sticking it out. Even in that, I believe, we learn something of God's promise of the hope we have, of the resurrection promise, of the joy that He has promised us in Christ, and so that the futility of our work even teaches us something important about our fragile life, our short life, and our true hope. And then I do believe that we can begin to experience more new creation restoration, even in our work, even in the most difficult or mundane places. We can learn something about what God is doing in us and through us for others. So much spiritual formation is only possible through our good work. And finally, God reaches others through our daily work. Now, you may have expected me to start here. To say that the only real value of being in the workplace is somehow connected to witnessing to other people and helping them find and follow Jesus. And don't get me wrong, I think that's important because there is no split between spiritual, as it were, and secular. There's no split all work is spiritual in that sense, then of course a key value in our relationships is looking for opportunities or taking opportunities as they come to introduce people to Jesus. And the workplace, whether in a volunteer organization or, or a young mom hanging out in the hood or, or connecting with new employees, all those give us opportunities to point people to Jesus. That is true. But how we work, as I've already said, our integrity and our attitude and our treatment of others, all of that, is critical to those moments when we are able to witness to Jesus, to talk about His goodness to us. Christians who reflect Jesus in their work are then able to reflect Him in their speech too, and and then people listen. I know that for me, I work, you know this, a lot of you know this if you are gleaners people, uh, you know I work a few hours a week at the gleaners. I love that work for lots of reasons, because I love the gleaners, I love what they do, and all that. But one of the great things about it is the relationships, the people I know and the people I'm able to interact with. Yes, volunteers, but community people. It's a great place for a pastor to be who, frankly, if he you know, was allowed to, might hide out a little too much, read too much. You know, it's troubling, I know. And, and so sometimes as a pastor, I could end up only relating to people who sort of self-identify as Christians or connect with the church, right? And so things like the gleaners, the workplace, is my little taste of getting out there and connecting with people. And it gives me opportunities because it introduces me to new people. And there's a connection, even as I'm doing, I believe, the good work of the gleaners. 
So I'm hauling in somebody's, you know, junk, knowing that it will be transformed into valuable cash that will serve many organizations in the community. That's good work, right? But it also gives me these opportunity to connect with others. God reaches others through our work. And I think it's worth pointing out, part of that, for those of us who are in paid work, part of that is the finances that we make. That God uses the finances that we make as we invest that into others' lives, as we serve the poor, as we give to the church. There are ways, and God is reaching others through our work, even through our finances. It's not the only reason, but it's a big one. God reaches others through our work. So there you go. Six ways that God makes the other six days holy too. I want to close with two application questions. The first one is this. I've already asked it, but in your daily work, Whatever that is, you might be retired, but you have daily work. Uh, places you serve. And you get up and, you, and you, you, you work. It could be that you're at home. It could be that you're in a business. But in your daily work, the question is, how is God caring for others? How is God caring for others? And I hope that as you ask that question, you're really encouraged. That you see connections you hadn't seen before. How is God caring for others? Animals, people the poor, family, community members, people that never will know about you, but they're being loved and cared for by God through your good work. How is God doing that? I encourage you to ask that question today, this week, and be encouraged through that. And as I said earlier, I think it's a fun thought experiment with your kids as well. Get them to chase down all the little rabbit trails of how this food got to your table. Or how what this person's doing cares for others. All the different ways. Great thing to ask. How is God caring for others through your work? And then the second question, perhaps a little more challenging. When you think about your daily work, how can you more accurately represent Jesus? How can you more accurately represent Jesus? And this isn't meant to be anything guilt-inducing or big heavy. What this is about is saying, is there a way in my daily work whether it's the attitude that I'm bringing to it, whether it's the conversations I'm having, whether it's just the way I'm doing the work itself with integrity and excellence, or something I need to learn so I can do it more effectively. Is there a way that I can more accurately represent Jesus in my work? Ask that of the Holy Spirit. Talk about that with a friend. And see if there isn't a place, even in your daily work, where the Holy Spirit is inviting you to more fully represent Jesus. Why does our daily labor matter? Because we labor for God's glory and for neighbor's good. For God's glory and for neighbor's good. And so on Tuesday this week, when you and I get up after our Labor Day off, I pray that we will each be able to grasp with both hands, with full hearts, our calling, our holy vocation to be Jesus' representatives, bringing God glory and neighbor good. Because I believe that as we do that, we'll discover that our work really is holy. Our work really is good. Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've called all of us who follow you into a holy vocation. That we work as your representatives to bring you glory and neighbor good. Lord Jesus, I pray that each one of us, 
in the work that you've given to us, that we would embrace our place as your people. For those of us who are discouraged with our work, who feel that it is meaningless, who wish it was different, I pray that in the midst of that work, they would receive some special sense of your calling to them. That you would ignite in them an understanding, even a passion, for being your representative there. Now, Lord, if there are opportunities for them to make a change where you can further use their gifts in a different way, then, Lord, show that to them as well. But I pray that they would experience your your joy in the midst of what is often difficult. Pray for those who feel they work in hidden tasks, unseen tasks, that no one acknowledges, that they're thankless, that they would... They would experience what it means to work for your eyes. And they would receive a blessing from you, knowing that their work is pleasing to you. For each one of us, Lord, I pray that we would fully engage the good work you've given us. That we would see how it is holy and good through a variety of ways. That you've created us for this. And that we're able to fully... uh, Fully embrace the good work you've given us as a gift from you. Knowing that through that, you care for others, you care for us, you shape us. You reach others all these ways, Lord Jesus. And as a result, that would give us great joy, great great courage, encouragement in our daily work. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for being a good worker and doing a good work in us. Would you bless us as a community in our work. Pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you can join us at coffee time. And if you're interested in being part of the Dream Team, please sign up on the booth out there. God bless. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey. Whether you're finding Jesus for the first time, or you have been following him for years. If you have been listening for a while, perhaps you're wondering how you can support the church financially. To find out, please go to ericksoncovenant.ca and click on the Donate tab. Thank you for being part of this journey with us. Every day we are seeking to help people to find and follow Jesus.